Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the final hour is here for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network, Monday edition. Plenty of headlines out there from the SEC on full display as the uh, the top newsmaker across sports will be Greg Sankey and the top coaches in college football discussing more than likely name, image, likeness, regulation, or the lack thereof, uh, and uh, regulation in Athens. What's going to happen there with uh, Kirby Smart addressing the media tomorrow uh, here in Music City? Chad, DeAndre Hopkins is headed to Music City. He is signing a, a two-year contract. It's longer than that. The final three years are, are vo- voidable, and it's actually it's written in here that they are automatically going to be voided. A very team-friendly deal, and the Titans, apparently the most aggressive in this negotiation, they land the 31-year-old who, in six of eight seasons, has 1,000 yards plus. There are some, some incentives, but the, the guaranteed money is $15 million on a $26 million contract, and it's not that bad of a cap hit considering what was expected, I think, whenever he was released by Arizona. Where does this put the Titans? We, we've had the conversation about wherever Hopkins goes, what does it mean for that team? He's not in Kansas City. He's not in Buffalo. Chooses not to go to New England. He's now joining a team where he could be a number one option. And it, it, if he's not, he can be a, a option 1B for a team that was desperate at the wide receiver position as far as depth is concerned. If you looked up mid in the dictionary from an NFL standpoint, I think you could find the Tennessee Titans yeah. before this signing. Yeah. Very mid. Eight and nine, nine and eight. I think that's a solid bet about this Titans team going into the season. DeAndre Hopkins, though, changes this team because it's what they needed so desperately. And now you look at them offensively and with Traylon Burks, with Chigakonkwo, with Derrick Henry, first and foremost. If the offensive line can just get to average, and it was awful a year ago, they got a chance to do some things. If Ryan Tannehill stays healthy, we can say that about every starting quarterback in the league, but we saw it a year ago. Ryan Tannehill goes down. Titans go on a huge losing streak. They get to the final week of the regular season in Jacksonville with a chance to win and win the division, and they lose a close game with Joshua Dobbs at quarterback. So given all those factors, if they stay healthy at quarterback this year, I think the DeAndre Hopkins signing is huge for this Titans team and gives them a leg up over Jacksonville. I think either way, they're right there with them now, and they've got a great shot at winning the division. Now, what does that mean for Super Bowl hopes? I don't think a lot, quite frankly. I think it's a team that their ceiling is winning the AFC South and making the playoffs. They're not going to go on a playoff run because they're not built that way. Well, But, but uh, I do think it's a team, Hutton, that now puts them squarely – right there with Jacksonville, either right behind them, right with them, or right ahead of them. But what does that mean for, uh, you know, options for Hopkins? Not a lot. He didn't have them. 
The leverage just wasn't there. I look at this deal and I think, so New England wouldn't go to that level, and it's not a very high bar. And there were not teams that would make room for him to join their wide receiving room that are legitimate Super Bowl contenders based on the qualification. And I'm with you. I agree with you what you're saying. It's In the AFC especially, um, that one player does not make a difference if you don't have the quarterback. This makes Tannehill better, but this doesn't make Ryan Tannehill, Patrick Mahomes, or Josh Allen, or Joe Burrow. I think it says a lot about Mike Vrabel, too. And what DeAndre sure. Hopkins thinks of him and uh, thought of him and with Tim his Kelly. time there with Tim Kelly, uh, that's a big part of it. I think it's a, it's a big win for Rand Carthon, new general manager, and it's a big win for Vrabel and Kelly in the sales pitch. And just to get the guy to say yes. The guy that was the most talked about free agent this offseason for a receiver, they landed him. That's, that's not insignificant that the Titans were the one to win out in this in this quest for DeAndre Hopkins. The running backs did not win out in, in terms of the deadline to get a deal done, a long-term extension versus the franchise tag. We'll get to that in a moment as we say hello to Jordan Schultz, NFL insider who joins us. Uh, you can follow him on social at Schultz underscore report. Jordan, great to have you back on, man. Hope things are well. And uh, what did you make of, of Hopkins choosing Nashville and, and the Titans over the options or maybe the lack thereof that were in front of him? Well, I had said early on that I felt that Tennessee had a great chance following their visit, which was a really good visit. A lot of, I think, continuity there. And what I mean by that is you have the Mike Brable connection. You have the Ren Carthon connection. You have an offense that really needs him. And I think for DeAndre Hopkins, who, as he gets into the later stages of his career, uh, maybe he's not a top six guy anymore, but he's still a top 10, top 12 caliber wide receiver, still a number one option. And as he gets into his early 30s, I think it's important to him to A, be wanted, B, go to a system where he can thrive as a true number one option. And number three, go to a healthy franchise. You know, if you think about what Hopkins endured in both Houston and Arizona, it was really bad. And, you know, with respect to what both those franchise, franchises are doing now to turn things around, I think that's great. But the bottom line is Hopkins was really at two terrible places from, from a player perspective. And I think it, that definitely weighed on him. And I think the opportunity to come to Tennessee, come to Nashville, and play with a franchise that is heading in the right direction was extremely appealing to him. And obviously, he got paid a lot of money, and that helps as well. When you saw the contract, are you surprised that there were not more teams involved for the 31-year-old who can certainly find the end zone when when, when needed? Um, I was a little bit surprised that Cleveland didn't make a real push because I thought, given the connection with Deshaun Watson, given the fact that that roster is in really good shape on both sides, and I thought pairing him with Amari Cooper would have given them a lot. Um, so I was surprised that Cleveland didn't make more of a push. I think it really came down... I think that the, the final thing that put Tennessee over the top potentially was the money that New England simply couldn't get. Um, and so, you know, he's, listen, wide receivers, I, I think we talked about this the last time I was on um, after he had visited Tennessee, which was to say a lot of teams had allocated their money, especially toward the skill position guys, and didn't really have that much left. I thought Kansas City would have made sense, but they were going to have to extend Chris Jones to free up more cap space 
to get in the mix there. So ultimately, they, they didn't really make the push either. But I had heard that they were talking up until the end. So, you know, I think it's a good fit for both sides. I feel like if I'm Hopkins, you know, it's the first time in my career spanning about a decade where I can go to work every day and feel like really good about it. Feel like I'm in a franchise that's, again, going in the right direction. And for someone that is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, that has to mean something. Well, what does this do for the Titans? Does this make them uh, obviously a contender for the AFC South, but does it do anything more than that for this team? Um, I think they're a good football team. I think they're a, a 10 win football team is it feels about right to me. You know, maybe that's nine, maybe it's 11, but right in that vicinity. I don't, I don't think they can push Kansas city, Buffalo, Cincinnati. I think Baltimore is going to take a significant step in the right direction. So I would put them in that second tier of AFC teams. But the fact that I think their defense should be pretty good and they're, they're figuring this thing out with, with Kevin Byard, which, which is a positive. He'll be there. And this is a ball-controlled offense that, with a healthy Derrick Henry, should be, along with Atlanta, probably running the ball more than anybody else. So they're going to be in a lot of football games. And now it's clear that they're all in on Ryan Tannehill, at least for the foreseeable future. We'll see what happens with Levis and potentially Willis. But ultimately, this feels to me like a – a 10-win football team, a competitive team. I do think the division is wide open. I mean, I think Indianapolis is ultimately going to start Richardson. Uh, Jacksonville is clearly a step in, a step ahead, having won a playoff game. And Houston is probably a couple years away, but they should be, you know, at least feisty with, with, with their new team, with Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud. So I think Tennessee has a great chance to win the division. And then, you know, after that, it's anyone's guess. Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard. And Josh Jacobs, unable to reach uh, a contract uh, agreement with their prospective teams today at the deadline for the franchise tag, which was about an hour ago. Jordan Schultz with us. Uh, Jordan, Saquon, it it felt like the Giants were trying to get something done. Ultimately, why didn't they at the deadline? I think the biggest holdup was guarantees. And I have been talking to both sides leading up to those final minutes. And I felt... In terms of Saquon, Tony Pollard, and um, uh, Blinken on Jacobs. Uh, yeah, Josh Jacobs. I felt like out of those three, Saquon by far had the best chance to get a deal done. Um, and listen, he there have been a hundred different reports about the numbers that he did or didn't get, and that he turned down. The bottom line was he's gonna now he's forced to play essentially on that. 10 and change million dollar tag, which is extremely advantageous to the Giants. But to me, and this is where the fan in me has to balance being the NFL insider, because as a fan, Saquon Barkley is everything that you want in a New York Giant. He's He has that same level of Daniel Jones, Eli Manning, Justin Tuck, accountability, doing things the right way. And on top of that, he comes off a career best year, over 1,300 yards, Uh, double-digit touchdowns. He was sensational. Two-time Pro Bowler. He's 26, but the running back position is set so that you simply cannot pay them. And you really go back to the Nick Chubbs, Zeke Elliott's, Christian McCaffrey's. Those are a few of the guys that have gotten either some money or real money. Elliott being probably the best of the bunch with, with about 90. I don't see how 
if I'm a if I'm Saquon, I don't see how I can. And I just reported that he's going to hold out. He's not going to be reporting with his his giant teammates. But I don't see how I can look at this and say I'm going to be here long term. I really feel like this this has to be the last year for him in a giant uniform, and that's the report right there. And and I don't blame him, frankly. I I understand the business side of it, and that it is in the Giants' best interest financially to tag him and have him play on it and pay Daniel Jones. I reported that deal as well. But as a fan and as a just as a human being, I sympathize for the guy because he has done everything the right way. Well, let's stick with running back and Dalvin Cook. What's the latest with him, and is he the next big domino to fall? So I talked to his camp today, and my sense was definitively that they were going to see what happened today with the three running backs, Jacobs, Pollard, and Barkley. And now that all three have been officially tagged or they didn't, didn't come up with a long-term agreement, um, I think you could potentially see Dalvin heat up a little bit. But I still don't get the sense that he's in any particular hurry. For someone like him, going to a training camp is not an appetizing situation. You know, he's I know he's 27. He comes off the shoulder surgery. He is healthy for the first time in a really long time. He's a four-time pro bowler each of the last four years, and he's the only running back to eclipse 1,200 all-purpose those four years. So I think you could see that market begin to heat up. We'll see, again, the, the Dolphins of the world, Broncos, Jets. I think the Patriots make a lot of sense. They have Ramondre Stevenson, but that money that they didn't ultimately pay Hopkins could potentially go to someone like Cook. So I could see them getting in the mix, but I think he'll still take his time to a degree, but there's kind of that balance of, okay, I, I want to find a new home. I don't want to be there at the beginning of camp, but I also want to be comfortable enough in my new offense and my new home going into the 2023 season. So I would expect that to get done in the next, uh, I, why don't we say two weeks? Jordan Schultz with us. Jordan, final minute or so here. Uh, seeing Dalvin Cook and how this has transpired and, and, and progressed or, or should say it's gone the opposite way. They're, they've regressed in what he thought he was going to get. Seeing the, the pay cuts that have gone around the league, Joe Mixon taking a pay cut. Why would yeah. why would these running backs that can make ten million dollars this year at this position hold out and potentially even pretend like they're not going to play? So you're saying more of the other three, the Barkley, say, uh, yeah. Why, why not just take the ten million and see? I mean, it, it's a guaranteed ten million. I don't know why you take it based on the position. I I, th- I so I agree, and I would anticipate that all three play, um, and I think it'd be really hard from a business standpoint to say I'm going to turn down $10 million when that really, in essence, is better than the market value that I'm going to get from a long-term contract, especially if it's super backloaded. So yes, I would agree that that's probably going to happen. Jacobson and Barkley will not report. That doesn't mean they won't play. I would still anticipate that they play next season. But I think what it does is it it essentially shuts the door on a long-term contract down the line with the Raiders, with the Giants. And that's a shame because they have been the heartbeat in many ways of those franchises over the last few years. Jordan Schultz has been our guest. Love the Birmingham Barons. Uh, Jordan. Yeah, Schultz, I, was, yeah. I was wondering if that would translate. If you yeah, would man. That. You, no know, you, know, you know what? To me, this is probably my favorite shirt, and I had to wear it on my favorite program. You got a great setup there, too. It's terrific. Uh, you always bring it. Uh, our, our favorite guest here. Uh, it, we really appreciate it, man. And let's catch up soon. Anytime, fellas. Thank you. Have a yep. good one. Thank you. Jordan Schultz. Follow him uh, for the latest. And uh, he nailed it on Barkley, reporting that he's not going to, to show up to training camp. 
He had uh, the Daniel Jones contract and, and much more, and he's got solid intel in the NBA as well. He has got at Schultz. He's Shore got Report. good sources. He does some good source work. And by the way, I watched Michael Jordan play for the Birmingham Barons back in the day. I attended a game. What was that like? It was packed. It was at Greer Stadium in Nashville against the Sounds, okay. the AAA team there, yeah. and it was a packed house to watch Michael Jordan. You remember what he did that game? Did he? Even I think play? he got a hit. I want to say he was like one for three or one for four. I know that he got on, but he got a hit at one point. No load management for Jordan uh, in that era. No load management. He was out on the there. Road. He was he was balling constantly. He may have been private jetting around a little bit oh, I'm uh, sure. instead of uh, in the bus on the bus. But uh, some of his family, I think cousins, were seated right behind us. I remember talking to them. I forget the exact relationship, but it was family members that got tickets through was Larsa Michael there? Jordan. Larsa was not there, oh. to my knowledge. She's uh, got to get her four four bangs in for the day. Yeah. Well, you, know? you got to start young. <laughs> you know? Sure. <laughs> no doubt. Got to start somewhere, Hutton. Coming up, Clark Lee joins us, head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores. He'll join us live from SEC Media Days. New contract extension and a five-win season for a team not predicted to do much. That's next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Six of Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The location of SEC Media Days. It's, what, a block and a half from here? Yeah, yeah. close. We made, uh, we made the uh, very hot walk uh, back yeah. today. Yeah, Clark Lee joins us. Made the walk over to our broadcast setup. Uh, head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores, fresh off of a contract extension, fresh off of a season where he's proving the media that were there last year wrong about the expectations of this team, and uh, got a, a solid group coming back as uh, he continues to build the program back. Coach, good to see you, man. Yeah, I feel uh, like I should be there in studio with you guys. This is Anytime. a little different. Any, I know, absolutely. Maybe Anytime. I'll, I'll hop the next pedal tavern over there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send you an Uber if uh, if you can't find a pedal tavern because those are packed. Uh, yeah, that's probably the better decision. What What did you think about the contract extension given the the short time you've been there and and knowing the path that you're on and you you're not going to go anywhere. This is this is your landing spot. This is your alma mater. This is where you want to be. Well, I, I think just right off the bat what you're saying there I mean it's one thing to say this is home and and this is where my heart is but to have the contract that shows it you know in recruiting is a big deal you know and I want I want those families to know and those players to know that I'm going to be their coach and I'm going to be here a long time um, obviously I'm humbled by the fact that our administration and uh, Daniel Deermeyer and Candace Lee have um, seen progress and believe in the progress, believe in the direction. I think there's great responsibility in that. Um, you know, it's certainly not an arrival. It's still a beginning. And so, um, you know, I just, look, the announcement today was awesome. And, and getting that out of the way before the season was fantastic. But for me, it's about shifting to the work that needs to be done. And there's plenty of that. Um, but, yes, uh, very excited and, and very grateful. I want to get into some of the comments from Greg Sankey in a bit. But, uh 
there are coaches that spend time on the address to media at the podium. Some don't. You certainly do. Uh, how much time have you spent preparing for uh, the address tomorrow? No, I, I, I try to prepare for everything that, that um, I'm a part of, especially when I'm wearing the, the Vanderbilt logo. It's important to me to, to represent um, – to represent our university, to represent our team, and you know, met to message um, you know our, our alums and our fans, but uh, to message the guys that are just down the road, working hard for the season. You know, I don't again, I don't take those things for granted, um, and so uh, hopefully enough time to to uh, to be able to hit my marks, and uh, hopefully also not to draw too much attention for being long-winded. Although I am who I am, guys, I'm not going to change. So. <laughs> Um, I'm excited to be up there, though. This is, you know, look, as a coach, I mean, th there's not a bigger event to me than SEC Media Days to, to be able to get up. It's just such an honor to, to be in front of a, you know, a, a room and, and to be able to talk about your program. And so um, we're, we're excited to have the, the college football world here in, in Nashville and um, certainly looking forward to talking some Vanderbilt football tomorrow. Two things. Uh, first, you, you, you've turned heads with your suit choice uh, the last couple of years. Uh, can you give us a preview for tomorrow? And you absolutely have to drop in the line about your goal is to win a national title at Vandy. That has to be somewhere in there based on the news you made last year. You know, it's funny. I mean, I, I um, like I say that stuff, and I, I'm not. It's I'm being authentic to who I am I and what I believe. Yeah. I, you know, the the uh, the the stir that caused um, <laughs> was funny to me, and and uh, I enjoyed it because, you know, for a couple of days, you know, people were talking about Vanderbilt winning the national championship in football. I think it's a great thing. Um, suit wise, listen, I I, uh, I feel like I I feel like I'm a little bit understated tomorrow, but my wife tells me it's it's the best of my my three that I've had. So um, I'll be excited to reveal that. And hopefully, um, you know, I look good. What is it? Look good, feel good, play good. You know, that's that's the goal tomorrow. Coach, you're someone every time we talk to you, you're always you're always listening and you're always learning. And I, I think that you see stories and take things and you build from that and try to build experience with it. When, when you see the Pat Fitzgerald Northwestern story, what is the lesson to you, and, and what would you reiterate to your team about that story? Yeah, it's sad. I think it's sad on a lot of levels, and I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I've processed it fully, uh, but um, I, you know, my heart goes out to that program and those players and coaches and everyone involved. I know it's just a, a challenging thing, and short of commenting on what's gone on there and, and what hasn't, because I don't know, I'm not a part of that program. What I can tell you about. You know, our program is that true brotherhood is the, the first covenant in our five covenants. And and, um, and that demands certain behaviors and certain respect from us. And, you know, no one's perfect. No program's perfect. And Lord knows that I'm imperfect in so many ways. Um, and I need to take ownership of my mistakes and make sure that I, I uh, am willing to be accountable for those to, to model what it means to be a part of something bigger than yourself. But... Um, you know, we, we build our program off love and respect, appreciation for the opportunity. Um, and we have to be very deliberate with how we carry that, not just onto the field, but into the corners of our locker room and into our spaces, meeting rooms, et cetera. Um, I think also just, you know, for me as a leader, and I think for all leaders, it's, it's a lesson too. And it's not just enough to have a message. It's not just enough to, to have a vision, you know. Um, for me, you know, I, I've got 10 staff members full time. I've got basically 50 staff in, in a broader sense. 
Every single one of those people is important. Every single one of those people need to carry the program message and the program culture um, in their in their areas. And you know, it's just a reminder that we can't sit back and take anything for granted. I, I feel very privileged to have um, a staff that that I believe in that. They believe in me that we we're set on uh, on alignment and on our mission, and um, and yet we got to continue to have conversations about you know what is right, what is wrong, what needs to be redirected to make sure that this program always is built in service of the players. You know that that's the ultimate to me is I don't I don't ever want to be a part of something that that somehow damages the experience of our student athletes. It needs to enhance it. That's why I coach. And at any point, if I lose track of that, then I've lost my way. Um, in terms of the role that I signed up to be a part of. Clark Lee with us, head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores. I love being able to chat with you because we can just, uh, you know, shoot the crap here and, and give honest opinions. I don't think there's any way that a head coach, as paranoid as you guys are, about injuries and everything else getting out, that you don't know what's happening in a locker room. I feel like you would have a firm grasp on what's going on at Vandy. Or you've got someone in there that is reporting back to you on the tenor and the temperament, the temperature, right? Uh, is that how you would approach it? And is it as much of a sanctuary as it's made out to be? Well, we have to be intentional about being in there. And I, I, again, I, you know, we're, we're, we're overseeing 18 to 22 year olds and that there's challenges in that. I mean, hell, we were 18 to 22 sure. years old once. And, and listen, I, but for me, you, you build trust, you build uh, alignment in, in what the program ethos is. We recruit, we select into our program, right? So uh, we're very intentional with the way we recruit. We want to see certain, um, you know, um, attributes of character and, and of, um, you know, character development within a person. Not that they're a perfect fit. We want them to add to our culture, but we, we know there's development that needs to happen too. It's never going to be seamless. Um, what you want to see is people that are willing to course correct that, you know, when you can have a hard conversation with someone, you see behavior shift. That, that's what, that's what growth's all about. And when you're not seeing that, it, it's sending some signals. I think paying attention is so important and we can all get so busy to where, um, you know, we see the things we want to see and, and, and stop paying attention to the things we need to see. Um, but, but seeing the program honestly and from a sober perspective um, to say, hey, you know, the, these certain behaviors are showing up. W what does this indicate about the, the soul of the program and where it is? And then we got to be intentional about stepping into those spaces and, and sharing those spaces um, with the players, too. Um, you know, we, we, we have honest conversations. I've got, um, you know, a team of leaders you know, within our program that keep a pulse on those things and this is a collaborative approach approach we're co-creating this program and so um, I need to set the course and then I need to drive accountability on that course but I rely on a lot of people to help me um, you know keep keep the uh, the program on the course we've set and um, I think communication and awareness and again paying attention become the hallmarks of having success in that manner. I heard from Greg Sankey today we've certainly talked with you about spring meetings and the coaching comments and reaction behind the scenes to certain things, who's vocal, who's not, you're certainly speaking up and, and speaking your mind here. He, he uh, Sankey's calling on federal legislation of NIL yet again, which tells me they're nowhere close to getting anything done. How has name image likeness impacted your program specifically? And Sankey's calling out the state legislations where, 
you know, they're, they're banning any type of legislation or guidelines for name image likeness. Meanwhile, other states have guardrails up and there's no uniform aspect or policies in place. How much behind the scenes are coaches specifically in the SEC in the top conference asking others to come together and actually form some type of guardrails here for where we're headed? Well, we're, we're, we're aligned with, with Greg on all that. I mean, I, you know, I think he's, he's um, yeah, we're, we're on a slippery, slippery slope right now with all this. Um, and we got to be really careful um, with where we take this thing. You know, what, what, what's needed right now is for us all to come together. What's, what some of the thing the, the state laws that are being written are really pulling us apart right now. And I, I think that's a dangerous place for our game. Um, and Greg's been great about giving us opportunities to speak to, um, you know, representatives and senators and, and uh, people that can actually make real change for us at the federal level. And, and we need them to step up and do that. It's, it's something that our game's going to need moving forward. And it's not an easy issue. This is complicated and it's going to take compromise. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I trust in uh, the commissioner. He's got great vision for what this should be. He's obviously super smart and um, intentional with what he does. And um, I think we're, we're, I'm grateful to have him in this role now and, and to be, you know, steering our ship as we deal with all the things now that are, that are changing within our game. NIL is going to be a huge one. Creating a, a level playing field for that um, is important. You know, he talks about if you're going to have a national championship, you need to have national standards. And I, I, I'm right there locked in arm with him on that. I, I think the, the product, the on-field product, the, the kids deserve that. Um, and so, you know, I'm anxious to see that change take place. And in the meantime, you know, we have to make sure that we're developing in a program where, you know, we, we have such a solid product internally that, that um, between, you know, the authentic relationships, the development that takes place, the investment our players feel um, that, that we make in their process and also their ability to earn off name, image, and likeness, all those things combined. Um, in our program, we just don't put that money tra transaction first. We think that that leads to a, a transactional culture, which, um, you know, in my mind, in general, but but specifically to Vanderbilt, is not the recipe for us to build something that is just sustainable and lasts. So that's our philosophy on it. Again, I'm, I'm right there with the commissioner on and with Candace and, and Chancellor Diermeyer on, you know, you know, pushing for that federal solution. We made a trip to D.C., um, you know, as part of the SEC day up there, and, and we're going to keep having those conversations with, with who we need to have them with. I love events like this because it puts the coaches together. You know, you got 14 big personalities leading these huge programs all in the same place, uh, even if you're alternating days. SEC spring meetings the same way. And, Coach, you get to get kind of a sense – of Vanderbilt and the perception of Vanderbilt when you're at an event like this, talking to so many media members, talking to coaches. Do you feel like the wins over Kentucky and Florida last year got everyone's attention? And is there a different level when you're talking to coaches or media now based on getting those two SEC wins, good SEC wins late in the season? Coach, we got about a minute. Yeah, I think the, the external perception shifted subtly last year. I think for, for me, like I – you know, I, the five and seven is not what I signed up for. And we, we can look at it and say this is, you know, progress is great, but we're still early in on this to, to build it to where we want it to be. 
Um, I'm glad that Vanderbilt is is a, a little bit more respected in the conversations within being competitive in our conference. But again, that you know that to me is ancillary to the work that we're putting in internally. So that's my focus is just what we're doing day in day out to build the program. Um, and I know over time, you know, people will be paying attention because you know the the wins, the external uh, ripple effect of our internal investment will, will, will help us to be on the, the national stage. I love the way the schedule uh, works out early in the season for you. Uh, and I know you especially like the fact that you're not tra traveling to uh, a vacation destination in Hawaii for week one. They're coming to you. We love Hawaii, but I'd, I'd right. rather go there and hang out <laughs> no, than, than yeah. have to work. <laughs> Take us anytime if you yeah. want. We're, we're excited. It, it, it's great. It's it's great, uh, you know, for us to open the season here in Nashville and, and week zero. And, um, yeah, I'm excited that, you know, that'll be a team that comes in with a chip on their shoulder, too. So, you know, we we, we can't take anything for granted this season. We have we have such uh, an ex excited group of people and energized about what's possible. We, we have to go earn everything we get this season. And. You know, hopefully through camp we've developed a team that, that can be dangerous. We always love the conversations, Coach, and uh, Chad and I look forward to getting out and seeing you guys practice uh, preparing for the fall. We, we appreciate it a day prior to when you really officially hit Radio Row, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Always good to be with you guys, and you're always welcome at Vanderbilt. Same here. Thank you. Uh, in studio anytime. Clark Lee has been our guest. We'll get uh, that pedal tavern over for him. A well-deserved contract extension for the work he's doing there with the football program. Coming up, why Sam Darnold says he chose San Francisco in the 49ers. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Honey Withrow. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Gary Danielson on tomorrow's show, Chad. Oh, I love Gary Danielson. That'll be good. Andy Staples from On3. Well, also on the show. Much more. So, Gary Danielson, the CBS SEC part is done, right? Or is that next year no, that starts? CBS has the games. It's one more year. Yeah. Okay, one more year. Then it goes to Big Ten. Yeah, and okay. so Texas and Oklahoma are coming yeah. in for ESPN's. That would make sense as to why he's at SEC Media Days for one more year. So, yeah. there it is. There's the tie-in. Ah, now I see. It's the last year. Not the last year was the last year. Ted, there's a one-year opportunity for Sam Darnold in San Francisco. And uh, first glance, he's making comments on Pardon My Take with uh, a discussion on why he chose San Francisco. And I'm thinking, well, you're a backup. You have a $4.5 million contract on one year. Uh, 1.5 guaranteed. You sucked. <laughs> and now you have a chance to be a backup for a great offensive-minded head coach. That's surface level. He's also in a crowded quarterback room when healthy. But right now, it's not necessarily a healthy quarterback room for the Niners. Trey Lance is coming back off of injury. He hasn't stayed healthy. He's barely played since 2019 on football, just in general, because they only had one game during the COVID season. And he sat out a year 
uh, backed up Jimmy G, and then Brock Purdy's the starter now. But he may not be ready based on the elbow surgery. Still a big question there. Darnold, with the litany of playmakers behind him in the backfield and around him in the passing game, Chad, I don't think it's a... Maybe it's not a no-brainer. I don't know the other options here, but a one-year, $4.5 million deal with a chance to jump in and just hand the ball off to just name a name a back. Anyone from you know, Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell, Christian McCaffrey's there now. Uh, of course, George Kittle. Passing game should be on point. I don't hate it for him. And if you believe that Kyle Shanahan regardless of what goes on and who you are, for the most part, Kyle Shanahan's going to get the most. He may have an opportunity to play, and there are incentives in this contract. Could he be a year from now? I don't know if I necessarily buy it. Could he be the Baker Mayfield of next offseason? Where you feel like because McVay, you know, sprinkled some holy water on him, all of a sudden Baker Mayfield's better than what we thought when no one wanted him, and he ends up in in L.A. to end the, end the season and played well. Could this be a version of that because Shanahan is going to be coaching him? Come receive your blessing yeah. from, from Kyle Shanahan. Here, well, you will now be blessed, and you can go forth and prosper in the National Football League because the holy hand of thy, thy holy hand yeah. has touched you. Uh, yeah, I think there's some truth to that. I think with both McVay and Shanahan that you can kind of get the, the special blessing and then – you can look good and they can make you look good or help you look good. And it could lead to some, some better things. And I think you nailed it also that crowded quarterback room, but also wounded quarterback room. So this is a legitimate opportunity for him to, to start some games for the 49ers and be in a, a great offense. So the reason he's there to me is very simple. It's the fact that he's stepping into a situation where you've got some injuries ahead of you and you may be the, end up being the best option and the healthiest option. And you're on a very good team. And they're a team that's going to keep three. And yep. I, I don't know if every team's going to keep three quarterbacks on their roster to begin the season, but you have the emergency QB option that they must be on the active roster in order to get that designation on game day where he can be inactive but play as the third quarterback. I think some teams will go into the season. That's the new rule, right? Yeah, they implemented that. This is like the 49ers rule because of the right the NFC Championship this, game where they were down to no one. Where Purdy, who you see on the screen, could not throw a forward pass. Yeah, and uh, had to get back out there. Based on the, the elbow issue. They're, they're doing this for the integrity. But like it, even if this rule were implemented, based on what San Francisco did, they only had two quarterbacks on their active roster going into that game. So I, I think they keep three. And I think... Darnold, he's not competing for the starting job. They're going to say he is. But if he wins that job, they're in. Trey Lance is not the guy. It's going to be Purdy's job. But again, like the, he nearly had Tommy John. We haven't seen much of this type of elbow surgery across the league. And when it happens at the quarterback spot, generally you lose your fastball a bit. Yeah, so I... I I think it, it's not just some foregone conclusion that the glimpse of games we saw from him, despite not losing until he got hurt, and then knowing that we still don't know about Trey Lance, I, it's not some foregone conclusion that they're going to be just fine at the position. 
because these guys are coming back and it's assumed healthy. Yeah, and I just think that the 49ers, the way they're set up, there's a lot of quarterbacks who could win a lot of games playing for the 49ers. And that's not a knock on Brock Purdy. He did very well to be in the position that he was in when he got a chance to play and did win win those games, right? But I don't – what I'm saying is it's not just Brock Purdy that could win those games. I see a world where Sam Darnold could have right. won those games and had the same record also. That's how good of an offensive mind Kyle Shanahan is. That's how good the roster is around those and quarterbacks also. Right. So even if you screw up, you're, they're going to set you up with the football again. Yep. Um, so I, I, they also have Kyle Allen. Man, they have a group of Carolina quarterbacks out there with Darnold and Allen. And then, uh, of course, Mayfield, the former Carolina quarterback as well, who went out to L.A. Now he's in Tampa. You see the report that uh, there are some on the roster in Tampa that believe that the Bucs are still recruiting Brady. I mean, I, look. I, they have that, to be telling themselves that because they know they're going to suck at quarterback. Yeah. We had Bruce Arians on uh, at the Super Bowl. I remember talking about the, the quarterback situation there. That video that we showed, uh, Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask uh, looking <laughs> terrible, you know, back-to-back. Back. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bad, bad, bad situation. And that would not surprise me if they're still in contact with Tom Brady in, in some way. I don't know I, if it's like an active recruiting pitch as much as – you keep the bat phone line ready to go. It does not sound like he's coming back in week one. If you get or a call, like if you get a call on the Tom phone, you know they can keep a Tom phone on the on, on the desk, the the yeah. red the red phone right there, and then if that phone rings, you pick it up, and Mister Brady's coming back. That's it's yeah. always at the ready. And it doesn't feel like that. He's making comments about how he's relieved uh, he's, he's that he's done. not getting ready for week one. He's done. Yeah, I I I think so too. Um, you know, unless it's some. Random move towards the end of the season, but the Bucks aren't going to be in position for that. I, I'm just curious now if he gets to his TV deal uh, with Fox. Well, he you says know, there's, he's, there's been some speculation about it, but I, he in his initial, I'm looking forward to what's next, including the TV part of it. And with he told Fox. Jim Gray that it's 2024 when he's yeah. doing that. So I want to see him get to that, right? Like that's it's still a long, long way away, but I, I want to see him get to that and see what's next for uh, hey, for him. No doubt. Um, Chad. Which is going to be whatever he wants. The Las Vegas Raiders are the most expensive NFL team to go to a game with a family of four and, and support. Uh, interesting uh, piece that uh, is recapped by uh, Guns, the gun show, Mike Gunzelman at Outkick. Um, Gun, I don't, Guns was at uh, Blink-182 last night. I know that shocks no one. If you've ever seen or heard Guns on this show, he was ready He's to in go. every place. He's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised that the Raiders are number one based on you know the, the travel destination. Even if it's not, if you're not a Raiders fan, it, if you look at the, the the road trips you could go and support your team, and Vegas is on there, that's a weekend. Um, I'm surprised about the price tags for some of the other that are around the top five or six. Some of this is players that were on rosters that are no longer there, uh, so we'll see some of these teams drop back down uh, because Brady's not in Tampa, for instance. And uh, the Chiefs and Eagles are the usual suspects that I would think would be in the top 10. But the Browns at number two, just behind. The Chiefs are expensive? Yeah, to attend for a family of hmm. four. Yeah. So, it, but the, I would think, I mean, I, I know they're very good, which nothing, certainly helps the price, but I, I, feel, I feel like the Chiefs would be in the least expensive category in the league. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean given market and. But it's, it's ticket demand too, right? Yeah. But, but Raider Nation dishing out over $738 to take your family of four to see Garoppolo and the Raiders this year. 
at Allegiant Stadium based on the prices. You have a family of four. Think about dishing out 738 bucks to see your team. Well, it's a pretty big uh, decline, too, to the next one's on the list from that. So it's a nice little sizable jump up for, for Raiders games. I, I can't... I, I, I got a, there's a, a, a kids bop concert, like these group of kids that sing all the hits that's coming to, uh, to Nashville. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at tickets for that and it's like 65 bucks a pop. So, I mean, that adds up pretty quick when you're talking about four people and then talking about an NFL game, going to a Raiders game with that. I'm assuming that cost also includes some form of concession. They add into it also, you know, with the price to go, but that is steep. Hutton, I've been so conditioned over the years with free tickets or press passes to yeah. so many things that I have a hard time paying for a ticket. Well, I mean, anywhere I go, I, I, I have a hard time doing it. Uh, just on, on average, it's around 600 bucks if you just combine all of the, the teams together. I, and I've long said, I think the toughest ticket in sports to sell is the upper deck outdoor stadium. Indoor stadium doesn't matter to a. NFL game because the higher the ticket price, the more demand there is to sit and, and have the, you know, the parking spot at the game. You've got a great view. You have some amenities. If it rains and it's an outdoor stadium, you can go inside the club level. Uh, you're better off. I mean, the, the, the fans that are going to spend 45 bucks on the, just the cost to get in on an upper deck price. Why would you not just stay at home and have the best seat in the house? instead of not being really able to see what's going on. You're, you don't know when you buy the ticket what the weather's going to be like. And, I mean, there's nothing but uh, traffic problems, you know, uh, hot dogs that cost $12 each. I mean, I, I don't know how some of these teams go about trying to sell the upper deck. It's extremely difficult, and that's why half of these things are uh, kids' groups, you know, uh, kids' flag football teams, they're honoring certain high school football teams or whatever, and they're putting them in the upper deck because they want to fill those spots. It's hard. Um, I think about football tickets in general. Like, you go to a baseball game, it's really about kind of the experience, you know, of going to the ballpark yeah. and not as much oftentimes about the game itself. But the football is about the game. Like, we are obsessed in America with football, and we care about the results of the game. And if you care that much about the results of the game and seeing everything, it is far better to watch it on television and to get every piece of it that way and every piece of information you need as it's happening in the comfort of your own home. So selling the experience of being at a game live with those ticket prices, just in general, not just upper deck like you're talking about, I believe is going to become increasingly more and more difficult. Uh, for people because, and, and part of it is because we care so much about the outcome. We feel like, Hey, it's better just to sit at home and watch. And then when the game's over, I can change the channel and go right to another game and not have to fight traffic and miss things on my Sunday afternoon. But the lower, the lower, uh, sections in a stadium are typically a PSL that you've paid, right? So they lock you in cause you don't want to lose that investment. Yep. And you have certain, you know, uh, perks that you get based on team invites in the offseason and other things, you're not doing that on a seat-by-seat -seat basis in the upper deck. No. You know, or, or, or unless you go with Chad and you can sit in the suites. Yeah. Or just, you know, find people to have a suite, it. and then yeah. that's where people you go. People will sit in traffic for that. I, I, I have not paid for a ticket 
anywhere in years. I'm and happy to admit that, too. I, the, the days are gone of being able to go to a game and get back home and watch the late afternoon games. Oh, yeah. It is an all-day deal that it's just always going to be that way. You can watch a football night in America and get ready for the night game, you know, for if you go to a noon game. That's about the time you're getting home. We, we, in traveling with one of the teams, we, we would end a noon central kickoff. I would be back home by second quarter of Sunday night football. I was back home before some of my friends that went to certain games that weekend because they got stuck in traffic or, you know, they just couldn't get Tailgate to their parking lot. went a lot. little longer than they sure. expected. Yeah. yeah. Had to sober up. Yeah. Drink some water. I saw more of Sunday Night Football than they did. Yeah. Crazy. I definitely remembered more. <laughs> back at it tomorrow. Plenty of SEC coverage and much more. Thanks for joining us. Hot Mike with Udden Withrow across the Outkick Network.